Blog Talk Radio. chicken-related prizes than anyone else on the planet. We are often imitated, but never duplicated. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, and national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program. Today is Monday, May 5th, and I would like to thank all of you for tuning in this afternoon on Blog Talk Radio. This is a live radio show that is broadcast around the world. This radio show is all about keeping backyard poultry, show poultry, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Each week, we welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit our website, chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter and become a fan on Facebook. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tractor Supply. When you need an incubator, think Brency, the incubation specialist. Brency has been a world-leading manufacturer of incubators for over 30 years. Incubators from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity control and programmable egg turning all at surprisingly affordable prices. Visit them online at Brincy.com. Brincy spelled B-R-I-N-S-E-A. That's Brincy.com or call 1-888-667-7009. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and save 10% on their incubators, brooders, egg candlers, and other incubation accessories. You need an incubator. Think Brincy. Technology you can trust. You've just entered a dimension of dirty water, a dimension of poop-filled water, a dimension of stagnant water. You've crossed into the dirty waterer zone. But up ahead is your signpost to cleaner water, the Bright Tap Chicken Waterer. The Bright Tap Waterer is fully covered. Chickens drink from special valves, so dirt and droppings can't get into the water. Chickens get sparkling clean water. You get less work. No poop-filled water pans for you to touch or wash out. Bright Tap, clean water made simple. Visit chickenwaterer.com to learn more. That's chickenwaterer.com.
pictures of chickens on aprons are common across America, but picture a chicken wearing an apron and you'll probably get a good chuckle. Laugh if you must, but nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster and may even provide protection from an unexpected hawk attack. Hen Savers come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and standard sized hens and roosters. Colors include camo, denim, navy, brown, khaki or black, and soon pink. Crazy K Farm is expanding its already colorful hen saver collection to include the color pink. A portion of their sales will be donated to organizations that fund breast cancer research and awareness. Order your hen saver aprons today at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. And the mighty bird against prejudice continues his fight for law and order. So when you hear that cry in the sky, you'll know it's Super Chicken. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with Chicken Whisper. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We've got Peter Brown, also known as the Chicken Doctor, and we're going to be continuing with answering some questions that were posted on the Chicken Whisperer Facebook page last week, uh, last week's show last Monday. We got about through, I don't know, maybe half of them or close to it, and today we're going to resume and answering a, a few more uh, questions that were asked by uh, Chicken Whisperer Facebook fans there on our Facebook page. So you can follow along over on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash the Chicken Whisperer. One quick announcement before we bring Peter on. We have started the May Ultimate Chicken Coop Contest, and this is this month it's sponsored by Curtis Coops and Back, uh, I think it's Backyard Barn. Uh, yard barns. So um, uh, check them out. We've got a wonderful and beautiful coop. It's actually a tractor this time, and um, it, it's just awesome. If you're into barns, it is a basically <laughs> just like a good old red and white country barn that you see driving through the country in the olden days. But it is a it's a really awesome coop. Now, what sets Curtis Coops aside from some of the other coop builders is he is a home builder. He builds homes. So uh, on his website, you'll see that he uh, he claims that his coops are built as good as just like home. So it's uh, check them out and uh, visit our Facebook page, and you can enter as well. All the details are on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Chicken Whisperer. But the, the contest is going to be going all month long. It's uh, at, at a minimum like $1,500 value. So just make sure that uh, you take advantage of that and enter this awesome contest. Okay, let's give Peter Brown an awesome Chicken Whisperer welcome. Hey, Peter, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Andy, how's it going? It's going fairly well. Hey, let me scroll down here. I'll get you started on one question, and I'm going to have to disappear for a minute while you answer it. And uh, I've got to make a phone call. 
that uh, can't wait. So give me just a second, and uh, I'll get down to the uh, <clears throat> to the information from last week. Uh, how was your weekend trip? Did you have some chicken business this weekend? Yeah, we did a show up in uh, Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, and uh, it's a typical, uh, you know, the, the grind that you get. You know how it is when you're on the road and uh, load it all up, set it all up, unload it and set it up and tear it back down, load it up and drive, you know, it's uh, it, it wears you out a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah, you, you got that right. <laughs> but, okay. You know, everything else, you, you got to do it and... That is true. That is true. Okay, let me go back here and see where it may have gone. Uh, I'm looking for it, trying to see what exact day that was. Last Monday was the 28th of April. And so let's just scroll back to the 28th on our Facebook page, and we'll get started answering a few more questions that were posted. Ah, here we go. Found it. Perfect. Okay, here we go. Okay. Good deal. We'll go ahead and, uh, and get started, and I'll break away for just a couple of minutes. But I will be back. This thing's going to work for me. We're working pretty good broadcasting now. Looks like we've got a slow connection. So hang tight, folks. There we go. It just opened up. Scroll down here till we left off. Don't want to leave anybody out. And, uh, don't want to repeat anything from last Monday. Okay, here we go. This is kind of an interesting question. Could, could be some different things going on here. This comes to us from Jamie. I have a hen that will be sitting for 21 days on Tuesday. She was fine before she started setting on the eggs. But about three days ago, I saw her off the nest, eating and drinking, and she had a bowel movement. Today, she is not well. She can't hold her head up. Her neck is twisted uh, like her head is facing down. What caused this, and what is it, and could it be something contagious? Thank you. Okay. Without <clears throat> without knowing more, um, that's all. Would love, yep. Yeah, I would love to know what breed it is, but um, it, you know, <clears throat> if a hen decides that she's going to sit on a, on a nest and she's not going to eat, and um, you know she's not going to drink very much, uh, the only other thing she'll do is take all the nutrients that she needs out of her body. And um, if there are any nutrients that are, when I mean by nutrients would be uh, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, uh, that type of thing, and those would be gotten uh, from the, the feed through the mineral pack that's put into the, uh, uh, to the feed to start with, and then through the fats and the carbohydrates and so on as the uh, bird consumes the feed and breaks it down. So when it's not doing that, uh, even if she got off and ate just a little bit and got back on, um, you know, 21 days is a long time to, to sit not not eating. Uh, I mean, I've seen hens do it before that literally almost died or have died practically uh, sitting uh, on eggs and refuse to get off and, and eat anything. Even when you go and you shoo them off, and they come right back on, and, and the, the maternal instinct for them is so strong uh, to, to sit on eggs. But um, the twisting of, of the neck um, <clears throat> certainly could be a disease uh, problem but uh, without other birds in the flock having the same uh, uh, type of a problem, the twisting of the neck and so on, um, my gut feeling on that would be it's probably not a disease problem per se, like Newcastle or something like, uh, like that. Uh, this is probably more nutritionally related. Uh, and some of these um, um, 
vitamins and, and minerals and stuff, it doesn't take a whole lot of deficiency uh, in order to um, to cause uh, a, uh, a situation like we're seeing here where this bird is uh, not thriving now and she has um, got a twisted neck and so on. Uh, we look generally look to uh, selenium and vitamin E being the culprit when the when the neck twists uh, from from uh, uh, from things that we think are nutritional more so than a disease entity within itself. Um, because this bird is is mature, uh, more than likely it's not a genetic defect. So we start have to, having to look at you know either intestinal gut problems. Uh, in this case, the bird sitting on a nest and uh, not wanting to get off or not eating uh, enough. Um, so my, my guess is that it, this, this would more than likely uh, be some sort of a vitamin deficiency to start with. Um, whether it can be corrected or not, um, I couldn't say. Um, but certainly, I, I would certainly try to, to um, um, make sure this bird uh, starts to eat, even if I had to bring the food right up to it and let it just uh, sit on a nest and, and eat uh, out of a bowl or whatever you want to put in front of her. Um, but I would supplement with some vitamin E, and uh, uh, I would even do the selenium thing, although selenium, I think, is more um, in people's minds because somebody wrote about it years ago that selenium was a deficiency that caused wry neck and, and silkies, and so everybody wants to jump on the uh, selenium uh, uh, bandwagon. But the amount of selenium that a bird really needs in its diet is um, extremely small, uh, and uh, the, a bird can be uh, deficient in vitamin E, and the selenium will take up for the vitamin E, but the vitamin E will not take up for the selenium. So when this kind of a situation happens, it's my feeling that, um, at least from, from a, a more scientific standpoint looking at it, that we're probably looking at a problem uh, that's more vitamin E deficient than it is, is selenium. Now, you could end up because of the way this bird is not eating and, and, and uh, been sitting on eggs and, and, and the way she's been acting, that you might have a deficiency of both in this case. Um, in that case, I would supplement with both. You can supplement with both but uh, as a precautionary thing, but you also have to be careful with uh, true selenium, if absorbed properly, can be uh, deadly as well. So, uh, But um, my memory serves me correctly. Uh, the amount of selenium that they need is somewhere close to uh, or right around 0.3 parts per billion. So you can see uh, the the um, uh, the amount of selenium in relation to the amount of, of vitamin E. Vitamin E, uh, we, we look at um, at a bird, you know, giving a bird 400 international units uh, of, uh, of vitamin E uh, once or twice a day. So and they're fairly large comparatively. So um, I would look at it being as more of a vitamin deficiency or overall nutritional deficiency. Uh, like I said, if they're not eating and, and drinking properly, they're going to take all the moisture, all the nutrients that they need out of their body. And when they start depleting those, uh, then these kinds of, of problems set in where you have birds that are lame, uh, twisted necks, uh, so on and so forth. On the flip side, could it be a problem with um, with a, um, uh, a disease entity of some sort, such as Newcastle? Uh, yes, it could. Uh, with Newcastle, we see twisting of the neck. Uh, they actually can turn their neck completely upside down. Uh, we see them uh, uh, stretching their neck out in front of them in a C shape, looking in between their legs, uh, their head twisted around on their back, almost like they're preening, but they're really not. The neck just twists back that way. 
Um, and the other one we, is a classic as well as what we call stargazing, where the bird can be standing there but is constantly looking up. Um, and and um, those are all uh, symptoms of Newcastle disease, um, which is a virus, uh, and once the birds get it, it's, it's not, not really fixable. But uh, I'm still going to lean more towards the nutritional aspects of, of this particular uh, uh, situation. Uh, certainly could be wrong, but uh, certainly if it's a silky, I would certainly lean towards a nutritional problem. Uh, they seem to have more uh, anomalies with these things than anybody else. Peter, are you still there? Yep, I'm done. Okay, very good. Sorry about that. Okay. Now, right. like I said, I had to get this done. I'm having a vehicle towed, and they were calling me, and I, don't, I have no idea what they wanted, if it was mission critical or not, so I had to get that taken care of, so I apologize <laughs> about that. Oh, I'm sorry about that. that air Got to keep the wheels rolling. <laughs> yeah, life continues, and we're heading out of town again. I got an event in Nashville this week, so I'm trying to get about 1,400,000 things done oh, yeah. today, so to get caught <laughs> up before we head out of town. So, Okay, let me go ahead, and I'm going to go ahead and give you um, a couple of questions, if you don't mind, just in case sure, you break away again. So, um, in fact, in fact, hang on one second for me. Hang on one second for me. Okay, Peter, you still there? I am here. All right, that worked. Good. Yeah, it's here. He was just lost and couldn't find it, so it was mission critical. Okay, let's see, get this next question here for you. And again, I apologize, folks, but it, it is what it is. It's called life. So, uh, okay. Um, okay, yeah, this, okay. Uh, again, kind of vague. Sasha comes in and says, I have a Buck Orpington that was perfectly fine yesterday. We know what that means. Um, and today, it is not. Uh, another hen brushed by her, and she lost balance and fell over. Uh, her comb usually sticks straight up, but it is not as of this morning. It's all drooped over. What could cause this? Could it be Bumblefoot? I don't really see anything on the bottoms of her feet. She's very weak on her feet and just wants to sit around, which is not like her at all. So, again, vague information, but I think the key here is the combs laid over versus perk. Yeah. Perky. 
Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, looking at this, you know, she didn't mention any respiratory issues, no snotty noses, no sneezing, yeah. coughing, choking. So uh, we look at this as a, as a balance problem. And, again, nutritional problems can end up in balance problems. So you have to look at, at both aspects of this uh, particular situation. Uh, so um, I would first, first thing I would do is take a, what we call a focus beam flashlight, one of these small little mag light types where you can adjust the beam, uh, have somebody hold a bird, open up the ear uh, canals on both sides, look inside the ear, and make sure that there's nothing uh, growing in the ear because birds do get uh, a situation that we call ear canker, uh, not related to mouth canker, just looks like it. It's a yellow mass that grows in the ear canal um, and um, uh, can affect their balance uh, because, you know, right, right above that in, on the, in the ear canal is, is the brain. So uh, this can put pressure on the brain. Um, it can also introduce this bacteria uh, to, the, uh, to the brain as well. So if it isn't taken care of, you can end up with permanent damage, uh, generally not. Uh, but you'll know it when you see it. It's a orange, uh, not real orange orange but more yellow uh and even sometimes really really yellow uh looking waxy looking material you pull it out and it's a it's like a core and uh, <clears throat> or cone shaped and you pull it out and that would be your your problem uh right off the bat if their ears are clean and clear and there's nothing there um then you start to look at this bird as possibly being a a, a candidate for coccidiosis um, and uh, the the tip off there might be the loss of balance uh, the standing around, the the, uh, the droopiness that she was talking about, uh, uh, you know, not being herself, um, weak. Those are all symptoms generally of, of coccidiosis. Could we be wrong? Sure, we can't see it. We don't have any uh, more information than, than what's been given to go on uh, to try to uh, remedy the situation. But uh, I would certainly take a look at the droppings, uh, look for blood, uh, look for uh, loose droppings, uh, foamy droppings and those kinds of things that would lead you up to thinking that there's, there's something wrong uh, in the intestinal tract. But uh, barring that, um, I, uh, I would still lean towards coccidiosis or something going on with the bird, uh, not eating enough, not getting enough to eat, uh, however that being caused. Bumblefoot uh, would not show itself in a, uh, as a general rule in a bird that um, uh, is easily knocked over by another bird. Uh, generally, bumblefoot is just an, an abscess or a growth uh, uh, infection in the footpad of the bird. Uh, can become somewhat systemic, uh, moving out of the footpad up into the, the bones of the foot, uh, and that kind of thing. Uh, nasty looking most of the time, kind of like having something stuck to the bottom of your shoe constantly and uh, making it awkward for you to walk. But they generally, uh, unless it's really, really super big, uh, they generally don't fall down and, and, you know, that easily knocked over by another bird. So whatever is causing the, the imbalance in this uh, other, this buff-orpington bird, uh, I would certainly look at toxidiosis uh, as being part of the problem. I would look at the ears. Uh, while I'm there, I would check the mouth as well, make sure there's nothing going on in the mouth, I'm looking for canker. Again, some uh, yellowish-looking um, pieces that are stuck to the tissue of the mouth. You'll know canker from, from feed simply because when you go to pull a piece of feed that's stuck in a bird's mouth off, there's no bleeding, no nothing. Usually it usually comes right off and you take it out or, or whatever, or you take your finger and your fingernail and you push it, and so it's just a piece of feed, no big deal. Canker's different. It's actually a growth on the uh, mucosal or subsurface uh, tissues of the, of, the, uh, of the mouth and is not going to come off uh, uh, easily or at all with just, just your, uh, your, your uh, fingernail. 
and uh, that needs to be addressed uh, in a different fashion. Uh, could that possibly cause something like this? Yeah, it's more of a long shot, but uh, that too becomes systemic, starts to grow down in the body cavity and starts to uh, uh, create all kinds of other problems. So while you're at it, you check all of those orifices at the same time and um, you know, see what you can see. But I, I would certainly be leaning more on a, on a coccidiosis or a bacterial infection in the gut. Could be wrong. Don't have much more information to go on than that. Okay, good deal. Yeah, just uh, ask folks to just put as much information as they can when they do post a question. It might be pertinent, so we can get a good, uh, reliable answer. Okay. Now you may not. You may. Um, let's see here. Have uh, uh, and he's posted this several times. I think on my page in the past. But why does the Saipan jungle fowl have such a hard time breeding well? And what viable solutions are there? specifically in terms of outbreeding and then backbreeding. You may or may not know anything about that. I'm not an expert in any of the breeds per se. Um, you know, my, my area of expertise is more in line with, uh, with the, um, uh, the health aspect of it, but um, it, it can depend on, on what they're feeding. You know, I've, I've seen this time in, time out. Uh, different birds uh, require... Uh, you know, different uh, feeding regimens, uh, different uh, protein levels, um, and so on. Um, I've got a client now that's got a breed. I can't remember what the name of the breed it is, uh, but it doesn't really matter. It's a, it's a, one of these odd breeds that somebody started somewhere, and uh, it's a very fast grower. Um, what do you tell me? These birds were um, less than 16 weeks of age as roosters, and... Um, they were already five pounds, six pounds, and uh, um, you know, just 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 starting out, and he's already starting to see some leg problems in these birds because they're very fast growing. But you know, by the same token, as I tried to tell him, you know, having them on 22% protein wasn't smart either. When you know it's a fast-growing bird like that, you want to try to keep them somewhat under control. So it it could be, and and as we've seen on this show before, where we've dealt with infertility problems, uh, a lot of the time it is. Um, a vitamin, mineral, amino acid deficiency, uh, something along those lines. Many times it's the trace minerals, your, your copper, your cobalt, uh, um, and, and those kinds of, of minerals, iron, uh, that are deficient just enough to keep the fertility from, from happening. Um, so <clears throat> I can't answer it specifically, but I can say that, uh, you know, I would certainly try um, supplementation to... Uh, to see if that can help uh, alleviate the problem. Um, and, and, you know, here again, it would be interesting to have more information to find out whether he's talking about is this bird, you know, sexually active with the female, actually mounting the female at all, showing any interest at all, any of those things. And we're not, we're not getting that kind of information. So I don't know if, if the bird's trying, nothing's happening, or not trying at all. Uh, you know, and there, there are big differences, uh, you know, in that. Now, uh, if you're watching them breed and then there there is no uh, fertility, uh, so that, that's an issue that generally can be corrected with, with uh, supplementation uh, and that type of thing. You know, we didn't even, didn't even go into the age of the birds. Age is another factor. The older they are, the tougher it is to do. Um, and we've, we've uh, helped people with this on this show before, taking an old male uh, or older male and, Bringing them to the females and letting them letting them mate and watching them mate for a while, 
uh, maybe a couple of hours and then take them out and bring them back later in the day instead of wearing them out, letting them be there all day long and, uh, you know, um, you know, not really getting the job done overall. So um, that's about all I can say about it. Um, it's uh, about, you know, much more information than that, you know. Gotcha. I mean, gotcha. it, it could be an hour-long conversation with a party just in trying to get the information and try to make some adjustments to the bird's diet. Uh, but I, I have found the majority of the times, I would say better than 60% of the time uh, over the course of my career, most of these infertility problems are nutrition-related. Uh, you know, there, there are some, you know, if, if a bird's... Uh, are uh, really inbred, uh, you do find that. And lots of times you'll find it out in the second year. They don't lay eggs worth a squat, and they don't breed very well. You know, just, the fertility is low, uh, which then, you know, leads to, you know, lower hatchability. And, and even the livability of birds lots of times uh, is very poor. Uh, I'm dealing with, uh, with someone right now that uh, uh, has a particular breed of bird and a particular color that uh, some die, some don't can't figure it out we're, we're on a mission to try to figure it out and we've we've started some supplementation that we think uh, uh, may be helpful but they don't seem to show any kind of symptoms at all they just up and die and it doesn't matter whether they were small chicks or, or the larger chicks that's uh, almost equal across the board it doesn't matter uh, just come out they were fine yesterday and they come out today and they're dead now neither I nor the party that owns the birds had a chance to do a necropsy on them but that may be one of the next steps if we can't get this straightened around so and and this is a this particular line of birds is is highly inbred so therein lies probably part of the problem but you know we're going to see what we can do sounds like a plan good deal thanks for sharing mm -hmm. um the next question is kind of a um overall sniffling sneezing kind of should i separate them what should i do so thought maybe it'd be a good time to let you let, let folks know you can answer the question because the question was generic. I don't have the breed or anything like that. Just two chickens that seem to have uh, some sniffling and sneezing and coughing going on. And should I separate them? And, and what's the plan of action? So just kind of a generic, a generic, and then people can kind of see what if they do have or discover. Initially, they've got one that maybe some nasal drainage, some coughing, and some sneezing. Kind of a plan of action, including possibly having the um, emergency medicine kit available. Yeah, the the. Um any any time you you have a bird that is ill, it, it is wise, uh, if if at all possible, to uh, separate it out from the rest of the flock, uh, to try to contain the the uh, the, uh, the disease uh, problem and keep it from spreading to everybody else. Um, sometimes even even you know, by the time you've noticed that there's a problem, uh, everybody else has been exposed more than likely well enough that. Uh, um, you know that a good number of them, or, or all of them, will end up getting sick over a period of time anyway. But uh, the general rule of thumb is to separate them out, medicate them, and only them. I am not a big fan of medicating birds that don't need to be medicated. Um, I know people do it all the time, uh, and it's one of the problems, both human and animal, why we get into situations where antibiotics uh, don't work because of antibiotic resistance, uh, using them when we don't really need to use them. Um, if, if, the, if the birds were mine, I, I always like to start at the lowest uh, common denominator uh, type of a situation, so I would look to use the oxytetracycline concentrate. Um, in its own right, it's a powerful drug when it's, when it's uh, concentrated, uh, meaning more of it in a bag than, than less of it in a bag. And um, for those folks that don't know, um, 
uh, duramycin, uh, not knocking at all, good product, just not enough of it in the bag to really help you out. Um, uh, for instance, uh, a little bit of education on that. We've been down on the road on this one before quite a few times, but it's always good to r- remind folks that uh, a bag of duramycin, which is straight tetracycline, uh, is uh, 181.4 grams, uh, total weight in the bag 6.4 ounces, but there's only 10 grams of active tetracycline in that bag. So when I say to you to go to oxytetracycline, which is a sister drug uh, to uh, the uh, tetracycline and is one of the most common tetracyclines, the oxytetracycline is, that's used in poultry uh, worldwide. Um, When you buy a bag of the concentrate, uh, depending on the manufacturer, um, you look at uh, 280 grams total weight in the bag, but you look at 102.4 grams of oxytetracycline active ingredient in the bag, uh, one bag of oxytet concentrate is equal on an active ingredient basis to 10 bags of the duramycin, not necessarily the same drug, but the drug concentration is what I'm trying to point out. The old teramycin was a, uh, the exact same thing as the oxytet. Oxytetracycline was teramycin, teramycin being the trade name, duramycin being a trade name for tetracycline. Okay. And uh, so when you look at the uh, oxytetracycline concentrate, you buy one bag of it, it, like I say, on an active ingredient basis, would be like buying 10 bags of duramycin. Okay. So I would start them out on the, on the uh, oxytetracycline, uh, two teaspoons of that in a gallon of water made fresh daily, and uh, run that out 10 to 14 days, and uh, you should have success with that. Um, some of the rest of the flock starts to come down with it, and you're being successful with the, the few birds that are being medicated, then I would put it on everybody. But I wouldn't do it on everybody unless I needed to. And uh, you know, then you get into the egg-laying, egg-eating uh, uh, medication uh, uh, routine. And um, the rule of thumb is if they're uh, uh, being used for egg-laying purposes and you medicate them, uh, you're on your own. You know, the, uh, there is no withdrawal time been established. Um, I know that people talk about it on the Internet and they get a hold of this agency and they tell them this long, that long. Uh, if you can do that, that's fine. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm obligated to tell people that that's, that's just not something you should do. And if you medicate them and you want to eat the eggs, it's up to you. If I were, if I were going to do so, I would wait at least two weeks uh, after the last medication and then I would consider possibly eating the eggs at that point. And it's really... Uh, a matter of whether a person who may consume the eggs and there is some residue from whatever medication was used uh, would be in that egg and a person might be sensitive to it and therefore it would you know, have some sort of uh, uh, health issue with it, possibly uh, uh, anaphylactic shock or something along those lines. That's, that's the direction I'd go on that. Okay, very good information. Thank you, Doc. Okay, we've got uh, another one, very interesting. <laughs> Jacqueline writes in, I have lost three chickens this last month from what appears to be prolapsed event. Never have I had issues with this with any flock of my chickens in my experience. The first two seem to be egg-related. The one from today, after gloving and sterile lube, had really hard clump of feces lodged in the cloaca. I'm at a loss as to what in the world is going on and what I can do to prevent these issues with my girls. Well, generally speaking, um, and even more so than generally speaking, prolapsed events are caused by birds that 
uh, grew too fast and uh, put on too much weight, maybe even too fat, um, and uh, don't have the body size for the size egg that they might be producing. Uh, the bigger the egg, the more body size you need, and uh, sometimes these birds just don't have it. Sometimes it's a genetic uh, problem. Um, there isn't a ton of things that you can do uh, for it if you suspect it. Um, the only thing that I have ever found that's effective and it's very difficult for most people to do because it takes a lot of time and effort, and that is to throw the bird into a deliberate uh, molt to stop it from laying eggs. And that requires you to take the bird and take away feed and water for 24 hours um, and put them in a setting where they can't eat any of the bedding because once they get hungry, they'll eat anything. So that means no paper, no shavings, no cardboard, no nothing. Um, you know, no sand, uh, nothing. And uh, uh, so the feed and water for 24 hours, uh, put them in a dark out box so where that there are no more than eight hours of light a day in that box, um, preferably uh, when you're going through the, um, uh, the, the mulch cycle, I would just put them in a box, dark period. Just in your second day, just give them, uh, uh, just give them plain water and uh, nothing more than a, a little bit of scratch grain. Because what you want to do is you want to tell the body that nutritionally it cannot continue to lay eggs. And that throws the bird into a, a, a deliberate molt. They should stop laying eggs, and you will need to keep them uh, at that eight-hour uh, light period for a period of time. So I would keep it in the dark until it stopped laying, and then I would take and uh, uh, bring it back to the eight-hour point and hold it there. And... Um, and it's very critical because you start increasing day length, it starts to tell the bird it's okay again and, and it'll start the, the hormonal process back in and start laying eggs on you again and start pushing the vent back out. So you, wanna, you want to uh, make the bird lose a little bit of weight and then slowly bring it back into production and hopefully the, uh, uh, the prolapse uh, vent will, will stay where it belongs. And, uh, and if not, then you uh, can also get a veterinarian if you can find one uh, that will... Uh, stitch it back in place, and that's another uh, alternative to do. But uh, by and large, there isn't a whole lot you, you can do uh, other than these, these two things. Um, uh, watch the birds when they're growing, not too much feed, not too many treats. Uh, we've all talked about treats until the cows came home. Um, I don't believe in a whole lot of scratch grain because it takes them away from the, the nutritionally balanced food that they're supposed to be eating in the first place. So... Um, those few things that you can do to, to, to control it. Um, generally, they don't die from the event itself uh, or the prolapse of the, basically what you've got is, is the, uh, the oviduct prolapsing. And they generally don't die from that. It's an infection that sets in either from other birds pecking at it and, uh, and, and so on. So, um, you know, trying to get your finger into the opening to the oviduct uh, is uh, impossible. Um, the sphincter muscle is extremely tight, and um, generally the eggs, when, when, they're, when they're stuck in, in the uh, oviduct, which helps to cause this particular problem, uh, can also be a hormonal balance, imbalance rather, where the egg is um, laid small end first. And... Um, it's kind of uh, if you can if you can look at it from from that standpoint, uh, the large uh, egg is laid large end first, so that the large part comes through, and as soon as it does, that's why you see them they squirt it out, 
an egg just generally doesn't, for the most part, drop out. It's kind of like squirted out. And as that <coughs> sphincter muscle opens and wraps itself around that large part of the egg and the bird keeps pushing, once it gets past a certain point, it just pops right out. And uh, when you go the other way around, uh, you have a, a longer part of the egg to get over that that uh, that larger end, even though you're starting at the small end, uh, and it uh, it more or less jams it up, and uh, so that you know that in itself is is another problem. That's a hormonal imbalance, and sometimes that can be corrected by this molting process too, kind of resetting the clock, resetting the bird's body, uh, letting it take a little bit of a rest, and uh, see if you can't you know correct it that way. But it is a problem, pops up. Uh, some people never have the problem. Other people have different breeds that uh, uh, seem to have these problems all, all the time. And, again, it is related to hormones. Uh, it is related to to the, uh, uh, the, the situation of the egg being uh, uh, laid uh, wrong side up and with the, uh, uh, the, the body size uh, being uh, really... Uh, too small for the type of uh, in size egg it's laying, and it's in a genetic predisposition to it as well for the breakdown of, of the uh, of the uh, muscles that control all of that. So uh, that's what you can do for it. Good answer, and we've got another good question uh, coming up here. Uh, let's see. Oh, I love this question. It's always a loaded question, and <laughs> I just about the nature of roosters as far as them, what their goal is, what they're meant to do, nature taking its course, but uh, Corinna asked, how do I tame crowing? <laughs> uh, I'm thinking stew pot or don't have any roosters. <laughs> but I know um, that there's, there's, the, there's the, the, the ones you see all, often on the internet about, you know, if you're going to have roosters, you know, put them in a uh, a crate where they can't extend their neck and keep a, a moving rag, uh, blanket over so it's dark. But we've already talked about the circadian clock. So, and the study out in, in, in Asia where you know they anyway, we talked yeah. about that. But so we talked about that and keeping them dark. And, and we talked about you know the, the keep them in a cage where they can't extend their neck. We talked about the, the dangers of and even being almost impossible to find a vet that would even perform the the surgery to to decrow. Uh, most will not do it, and um, it, I think it just comes. It's like if you got a mean rooster and it's attacking you, you don't like it. Hey, he is doing what he is bred to do, what his job is to do, and that's protect his ladies. If you don't like crowing, that's what he does. It is internal. It is biological. Uh, so maybe you just shouldn't have roosters if you don't like the crow. But um, what say you, Doc? Yeah, I think you hit on on all of the the high points. Basically, <laughs> I mean, we, we've we have talked about it uh, before. Um, you know. Uh, when I talk about our flock here, uh, hate to keep going back to it, but it's a good example. We have predominantly roosters, and um, you know there's only 17 of them, but there's some days you swear there's 40 or 50 out there the way they start acting, and um, you know we have to have them sequestered at night because of the crowing. I can't have them doing this stuff at four or five in the morning here. I mean they're still going to do it. That's not the issue. It's just they don't want everybody down the block hearing it, and um, so um, I have a styrofoam inserts that actually go into the windows and uh, block any sunlight from coming in. And, of course, they're going to, it's not activated by sunlight, but the light doesn't help either, okay? And um, 
I have the, the inserts in the windows for a couple of things. The, the, window, the window glass doesn't hold out so much noise as does a uh, you know, two-and-a-half, three-inch thick piece of styrofoam stuck in the, in the, in the window, and it's got a piece of uh, three-eighths plywood uh, glued to it uh, you know, to put in there. So that helps keep the noise down uh, and escaping from the, from the building. Uh, but you know, we've taken all of those, those steps. During the day, I don't care. It's not a problem. Uh, nobody seems to care about it. The, the the issue would be, you know, in any neighborhood, um, especially if you're not, you know, supposed to have them, uh, roosters and stuff. Uh, yeah, they're crowing and going to tra- attract attention. Somebody's going to squawk about it. It's going to be a problem. But I've never found any effective way putting them. Uh, we know that the the research shows that uh, that it doesn't matter if it's dark in the coop, totally dark, 100% dark. At about four or so in the morning, they'll start crowing, whether you like it or not. <clears throat> and that's all there is to it. And, um, um, you know, ours do it here. I go out sometimes very early in the morning myself, and I can hear one or two of them. Uh, you know, out when I go off the back porch, I can hear one or two of them in there, you know, making some noise. It's not overly crazy, uh, like they were, you know, if they were outside. But, you know, stopping them from doing what they naturally do, I mean, I don't see any way around it, and as far as a surgical procedure for it, um, somewhere in my archive of pictures and stuff that I've uh, slides that I've accumulated, I have uh, you know pictures of, of the voice box and, and all that kind of stuff, and um, you know getting to it, um, uh, you know, it's pretty difficult, and um, veterinarians don't do it and shouldn't do it for the simple reason that they're they're uh, uh, their real oath is to to do no harm, and to me, uh, taking a uh, a bird that is naturally supposed to be doing something and doing it because somebody doesn't like it, uh, I don't. I think that's not moral, in my opinion. But uh, everybody got a different bandwagon they dance to. So, I. Um, but uh, yeah, I've seen these things. No crow collars. Uh, I'm assuming I've not seen one. I've I've seen people talk about it. I've. Uh, Recently, seen some folks on on Facebook that have bought it and used it, and said it doesn't make a bit of difference. So I don't know, and I'm assuming that's something that's going to keep them from stretching their neck. Um, but uh, they're going to do it, and if you don't like it, you better find a home for them. There you go. I agree. So, alrighty, got a question here. We talked a little bit about withdrawal time. Just talked about wormer and other things like that, and, and you know, talked about it. Does the same go for antibiotics? regarding uh, any studies based on the antibiotics that you can give uh, regarding withdrawal time? There were two different types of, of, of withdrawal times. Uh, I should say, shouldn't say really two different types, but um, uh, for meat birds, uh, birds where you're going to consume the carcass, um, and those are labeled for giving to that type of bird, the withdrawal times are listed on the package, okay? Mm-hmm. But as far as egg laying is concerned, there uh, have no been no uh, regulations uh, uh, put together by the Food and Drug Administration, uh, even though the manufacturers may have that information. Um, so there are no withdrawal times for uh, birds that are consuming antibiotics and producing eggs for human consumption. Every package. Uh, says on the bag, you know, not to be used in birds producing eggs for human consumption. And what that means is not to use it, period. 
Uh, I know people do it and do it all the time, and everybody sat down and happy with it, and I'm okay with it if that's what you're doing. That's the that's that's you. That's that's uh, assuming that that responsibility for for using it and consuming it and, and whatever. And you know, the long and short of it, do I think it's going to matter one way or another? Or any big deal? No, I don't. Um, and again, like I said before, the issue would be if somebody were sensitive to that medication and you gave them some eggs that had just enough residue in it to trigger uh, a reaction in that person, it could be deadly. That's where the issue comes in. It's not like you're going to consume it and because it's got an antibiotic in it, you're going to get cancer. Probably not. The chances of that are pretty slim. Um, you know, so uh, it has to do more more with the fact of when would the uh, uh, egg follicles, the yolks, the ovums that the bird is uh, producing, uh, be free of uh, enough antibiotic that it wouldn't matter. And uh, I will say this, if you have a bird or birds that pretty much lay eggs every day, it's going to happen pretty rapidly. That's my opinion. Um, and the more you go over the the bag dosage, the l longer it's going to take for medication to get out. For instance, if it says to take the bag and put it in 128 gallons of water and um, let the birds consume it that way, and you know we're in most of that stuff doesn't work at that level, so we're we're doubling down on it. And you go back and you put that in uh, 64 gallons of water, you've you've doubled the dose. Uh, and uh, you know now, what do you do to that withdrawal time? So they're going to be consuming twice as much medication, uh, in a sense, and you know it's going to take longer to get out of their system. And uh, you know, contrary to popular belief in the commercial poultry industry, that is controlled. And it, it, the the common uh, medications that poultry companies generally use uh, are, are tested for when they go to the processing plant. So then holds everybody's feet to the fire. doesn't mean they don't use a medication. It just means that they have to adhere to the withdrawal times. That's why you don't see... See, when a, when a poultry company wants to, and they all do it, try to save money on coccidiosis, it, they use a, a, a feed additive that goes in the feed. Well, when it comes down to the, the last week or so, uh, they pull that out of the feed and they try to get away with no coccidiosis in the bird for that last week. So what they'll do is they'll put Amprol on those birds if they need to because it'll hold it in check for just enough for them to get them to the processing plant without any condemnations and any problems. Well, there's no withdrawal time on that product, so it's good. That's why they don't use sulfadimethoxine, which is probably more effective, okay, but does have withdrawal time. So then they start getting into that kind of nonsense. So um, they, their, their feet are held to the fire. I know that wasn't part of the question, but I wanted to throw it out there because people think they just willy-nilly use it. Uh, not really. Not really. There may be some that break the rules and, and get away with it, but uh, by and large, uh, the inspectors in the processing plant are responsible for testing uh, birds and so on for what they call carcass residue. So. Okay. Very good, good information. I need to have an answer for us. And always, people always ask that. You see stuff on the forums about withdrawal time, especially for wormer, but also for ambotics. So I'm glad you cleared that up for us. And then uh, maybe a couple more here before we have to wrap it up. Um, got a question about kind of a a bare bottom. They've got a couple of chickens that uh, all the feathers that are missing from around the vent. They got the roost rid of the rooster about a year ago. Uh, they didn't say if it was caused by pecking. They said they looked for a 
any mites and lice and didn't see any, but uh, no feathers from around the vent area, or no feathers around the vent area, and uh, a little red and a little agitated looking, and um, but no sign of mites or lice. The roosters have been gone for a year. Their main question is how can they get the feathers to grow back in that area? My question would be, uh, does it stay bald like that even after a molt? That would be, you know, be one of my questions to, um, to you know, the, the party that has this particular problem going on. Um, they should re be replaced, um, you know, during during the molt. So when a bird drops their feathers, if those feathers came out uh, around the vet, I've seen it time and time out. Sometimes that is caused by a fungal infection at the feather follicle, and they may not grow back because of that. So, you know, they might want to take a look at using uh, an antifungal cream, something like one of the athlete's foot type things that you can find uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the pharmacy, and put that on there and see if that kind of makes any difference uh, in the... Uh, uh, but I've seen it before. It's bald and it's red. Um, and uh, almost looks sunburned in some cases. Uh, but I don't ha necessarily have an, an, an answer as to, uh, because it can be nutritional. Uh, uh, feathers are you know, loaded with basically pure protein, and so uh, if the bird isn't consuming enough, enough feed, that could be part of the problem. And, um, you know, what I say to people lots of times when we try to look at these things, you know, you have to really observe what a bird is doing. It's just because you put out, you know, five pounds of feed today and it's all gone doesn't mean that that particular bird got its fair share. We've seen it time in and time out where, uh, you know, a, a, a dominant bird will keep a insubordinate bird from eating, period. Every time they go to the feeder, they'll go over there and, you know, kick them around. We have the same problem here uh, that we've, alleviated with, with roosters, bullying other roosters at the feed, feed dish. So we just, you know, move things around so that uh, the ones that are being bullied feel more comfortable being off somewhere else with their own little feed bowl and let the other bullies grow there and all eat out of the other one. So it's, it's easily remedied, that those kinds of things, when, when there's bullying going on. I'm not saying that's the case here, but it certainly could be part of the problem. The other could be uh, from uh, a fungal infection. Uh, that gets uh, into the feather follicle itself. Um, it could be genetic. Um, there could be genetic problems keeping the feathers from, from coming back in. Um, I, I, would, I would look to see what the bird looks like after a molt. I, I dare say that, that after a molt, the bird doesn't put feathers back in there. Um, I doubt it's a mite problem, but it could be. Um, I've seen some things before where uh, there is such a thing as a feather shaft mite, where the mite burrows into the bottom of the uh, of the feather shaft and eats the inside of the feather shaft, and they become brittle and they break off. So there are there are a number of things that that cause this particular situation. And by the same token, uh, if this person wants to call me and talk about it in any kind of uh, depth or whatever, or, or send me an email at, at my email address, I'll be glad to discuss it further. See if we can't get more information to try to. Uh, you know, see if we can't fix it. It's, it's unsightly for sure. Um, you know, you can have a nice flock of birds that look all good until they turn around and show their back end and kind of like having no drawers on. <laughs> it's kind of uh, a little bit on the unsightly side, but it, and, you know, it generally can be fixed, I think, but just how you go about it. Perfect. All righty, very good. Um, I think we'll do one more, and then we'll wrap it up and see 
what we got here. One more that might be pertinent to many listeners. Okay, there we go, Kelsa. Um, I have a hen that lays ugly eggs. <laughs> she is free range, uh, fed layer feed, uh, and she has access to oyster shell, and her eggs are still bumpy, thinner shelled, and just all around not attractive. What more can I do for her? Um, thin shells, uh, and, it, and it doesn't necessarily surprise me. Again, here we go uh, with the free range um, mm-hmm. type of situation. And not knocking at all. I think it's great for birds to be out. Ours within their pen, free range, all day long. I mean, they eat whatever they can eat, and we're getting ready to plant our our um, uh, agricultural frames that we've got here. They're, they're, they're put up around the outside of the inside perimeter of the fence, um, the grazing frames, and um, uh, so they'll have plenty more to do there. But um, when you when you have birds of free range, sometimes they they'll fill up on everything and anything they they can get. Uh, we've had a lot of rain lately, and uh, um, you know the the worms come up out of the ground, and it's like feasting time. And um, as much as I'd like them not to eat them, they do anyway. And and uh, uh, you know when they fill themselves up on those kinds of things, then the regular feed that they eat uh, isn't going to be. Uh, consumed as well as it should be. Um, you know, we're not asking our birds here to lay eggs or anything else. Uh, they're, they're, Like I said before, they're a geriatric flock, and, and they're very well cared for. Uh, but I've noticed one thing. We uh, uh, were given uh, by a, a Purina rep uh, early this year uh, one of these flock blocks to play around with and everything else. And they're kind of neat, and they keep everybody busy and weak. We thought it'd be a good thing too, with so having so many roosters and stuff that uh, give them something else to do, and it does. But I noticed they eat a fair amount of it, and you can you can tell because it's a, it's a dark molasses color, and so are the droppings. See, I walked in there one day and took a look at the drops. Oh, I've got a problem, and then I realized what it was. And um, you know, it's a very dark drop dropping because they are uh, consuming a fair amount of of that. I really don't care because. Uh, they have access to their regular feed and, and enough stuff to get by. And, when, and, and any, anyway, there's not that many hens, and we don't care if they lay eggs or they don't. Um, but, you know, when they have access to other things, the thin shell is kind of a tip-off for a calcium-phosphorus imbalance. And uh, that's usually what causes um, the, the eggs to be... Uh, so you, you calcium, uh, phosphorus, uh, vitamin D3, and... Um, when you get that kind of an imbalance in there, uh, and again, what we talked about before, it doesn't take much sometimes. Um, we, we know uh, from previous conversations on this show that the monumental task of laying an egg in the first place, uh, a great engineering feat on the, on the part of the bird, putting together all of these nutrients uh, in, in this egg and uh, having to mobilize 50% plus of the calcium in her body on a daily basis to put down an eggshell, mm-hmm. that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. So if anything's missing, it's going to show up in that egg, and it's showing up in an egg that is, uh, according to this gal, ugly. Um, and I know what she's talking about, rough sandpaper type, thin-shelled. Uh, so I would, you know, and, and it could be somewhere along the line there was some damage done to the oviduct too, which would uh, allow some dimpling of the eggs and some roughness to the eggs. But that being said, the, the thinness of it 
uh, leads you to look back at, at the nutritional end of it. Um, the oyster shell could be uh, one thing. You might be eating too much of it. So you'd have, um, we've talked about this before, about supplementation on the show. Uh, everything has to work in harmony, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, mixed together, make something else work. Um, and when we come to that four-way stop sign or we come to the four-way intersection and the cop is in the middle and he's supposed to be directing traffic but there's something missing, so he's standing there doing nothing and everybody else is waiting for him to, to, to make them go, but there's an ingredient missing so nobody's going to go. So it makes everything deficient. And uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's kind of the way vitamins have a tendency to work that way. And, and uh, they, some, some vitamins uh, require other vitamins to make them uh, give up some of the uh, the. the Attributes that they have to to put into the whole mix, so I would probably look at some some uh, some uh, supplementation in the diet with some uh, vitamin D3. Uh, you can get that easily. Uh, vitamin A, D, and E we we have on on the website. Not overly expensive, and put it in the drinking water. Maybe some Vitapro B, uh, something like that. See if you can't pick up uh, and help the bird along with the, with the calcium. Uh, check the oyster shell, making sure you got a good quality one, uh, and, and even make sure they're eating it. That's another thing, because uh, we see lots of times, you know, people say, "Oh, yeah, they're eating." Yeah, well, the bird with the problem is that the, is it eating, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that that's another and that, like the free range thing. Like I say, they go out and find something that they really like, and they gorge themselves on it. And they come by the feed bowl and take a fuck, uh, a few snips out of the out of the bowl, and then they go on and and they and they do do something else, and um, so they're not eating enough food. Uh, out of that out of that bowl uh in relation to the the uh you know the, the great find they found down the back 40 which could be apples it could be god only knows what melons or uh, bugs or worms or just tall grass it, just the way it is mm-hmm. yeah i know you talk about that when you're free ranging you just really have no idea what they're getting to supplement that diet you never know how yeah. much or what yeah, and and by and large, it's 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 a good healthy thing for them, you know, to be to be out and about. But, you know, she's noticed this egg situation, and you know, more than likely something along the lines of what we've just discussed is probably causing that problem. Should be correctable with uh, with some you know extra nutrients thrown in there. Okay, good deal. I think that's going to wrap it up. It's been a great show. Sorry about the earlier on the technical difficulties, but. It is called life, and I uh, had to take care of a few things, so it uh, just all happened to fall around the time the live broadcast came to came to be. So uh, we appreciate you tuning in today, and uh, we hope you'll tune in all week, uh, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. And please make note of the time change. We have moved from 12 noon Eastern to 2 p.m. Eastern, so it won't affect the thousands of you that listen to the archive. Whenever you listen to that, we thank you very much for that. But those that do listen live, we have switched to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So just make that correction. Peter, thank you very much for, for joining us today as always. And My we pleasure. Look to seeing you. And we look forward to seeing you again next Monday. You have a great week. Okay, I think maybe next Monday we'll probably try to talk about water consumption with the hot weather being here on us before long, so I don't want to wait till last minute and everybody run around trying to figure things out. So I think we'll uh, talk a little bit about water consumption and, and different types maybe of waters that are available and, and how well they like it, especially when it's hot and this and that and the other thing. So we'll put the, that together with whatever else. Yeah, that's a great topic. In fact, uh, this year is the first year that I've started um, when we're doing the uh, cross-country presentations, this is the first year that I've actually started when we cover 
feeders uh, and waterers, specifically waterers, that I tell folks this is the first year that I've now had to start saying that choosing the waterer that's right for you slash in your birds, um, whether it be at the brooder level or the coop, um, is now really has become a researchable task because of all the different waters that have come out. You've got the bright tap, you've got the chicken fountain, you've got uh, the folks that are doing it with five-gallon buckets with the water nipples, you've got the nipple water, you still have the old-fashioned plastic fonts, and of course you have the galvanized metal fonts. Um, you've, I mean, anything and everything. You've got the ones that hook up to the hose if you have water uh, at, at your coop. You may be having to tote water. So it, it is now, because of all the options that are out there, uh, a ton, it has now become, I feel, a researchable um, uh, a product in, in itself, trying to decide what's best for your setup and what's best for your birds. If you have water at your coop or you don't. So I'm really looking forward to that on Monday, and uh, I'm sure a lot of other people will. So, hey, thanks so much, and you have a great week. You too. Talk to you later. Bye. All right. You bet. Thank you. All right, that's another great episode of Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with, of course, Peter Brown. Gotta love it. And uh, we're going to wrap this up with uh, a little more commercial break, so uh, stay tuned. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Mount Healthy Hatcheries has been a hatching tradition for over 80 years. Home of the healthiest chicks, Mount Healthy Hatcheries offers a wide selection of bantams, turkeys, guineas, ducks, pheasants, and of course, meat birds and layers. Order online at mounthealthy.com. That's mthealthy.com or give them a call at 1-800-451-5603. Don't forget to ask about their free bonus chicks offer. Mount Healthy Hatcheries, home of the healthiest chicks. Introducing the Chicken Fountain, a new way to water your flock. The Chicken Fountain will change your life and keep your chickens healthier by providing clean, fresh water every time. No more daily cleaning of dirty chicken waterers. This semi-sealed system keeps every drop of water fresh and clean. Proudly made in the USA, the Chicken Fountain will provide your flock with fresh, clean water for years to come. To order your Chicken Fountain, visit ChickenFountain.com. That's ChickenFountain.com. Stay with us. I'm about to tell you how you can enter the awesome May Ultimate Chicken Goop Contest. Stay with us back right after this last break. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfgeek.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com, or call them to find a retailer near you at 1-888-824-7257. Ware Manufacturing. All 
Sorry, thanks very much for staying with us. As I stated at the beginning of the show, before we had a couple of technical glitches, um, we are right smack dab in the middle. Just started. The May Ultimate Chicken Coop Contest. We gave away an awesome chicken coop in January, in February, in March, in April, and May is no different. We've got an awesome chicken coop that we're giving away in May. Let me tell you how to enter that if you didn't know already. You're going to send an email. That is your entry, one email per email address. So, yes, you and your husband can enter both, uh, but you have to have separate slash different email addresses. You could have your entire family. If you have a family of nine people and you have nine different email addresses, one for each of you, then all nine people can enter. So that's kind of how that works if you were wondering that. If you want your entire subdivision of 500 residents to enter, that is fine as long as there's 500 different email addresses. If they don't want chickens, that's great. They can ship the coop to you if they don't want it. So that's fine. <laughs> Just give you that information. It is shipping for the lower 48 states of this great land only. That doesn't mean if you live in Australia, you can't enter. You can still enter in Australia. You're just going to have to row your boat over here and pick up that coop somewhere in the lower 48 states at one of the, uh, I guess, harbor uh, cities where you can pick that up. Uh, so no, no worries there. If you live uh, somewhere over in Europe, no problem. You can have this coop shipped over to the port at Savannah. You can row your boat over and pick that sucker up and row it right back home. So no worries. You can enter no matter where you live but it's only going to be shipped in the lower 48 states. So if you live in Canada, you might have find a border town or a border address uh, along the Canadian border where you can ship this beautiful coop and then cross the border, pick it up in the back of your pickup truck and haul it on home. Okay, Probably more feasible than rolling your boat over from Australia, but hey, want to get that information out there. So no worries. Um, of course, no purchase necessary. The contest has nothing to do with Facebook. Uh, if you enter more than once, then you will be disqualified. And, um, hey, this is how you do it. Send me an email, contest at chickenwhisperer.com. That's contest at chickenwhisperer.com. In the subject line of the email, please type in coop contest. In the email itself, please type your name, the shipping address, and your phone number. And then hit send, and you are done. How simple is that? So uh, please follow these directions uh, carefully. No, I will not go back and see if you entered. I'm not going to scroll through 17,000 emails to find yours. Nope, not going to do it. Okay, so uh, please don't, oh, I forgot to do my phone number. Oh, I forgot to do this. Or, oh, I forgot to do that. Um, or, can you go? I forgot if I entered or not. Can you go check up? No, I cannot. I'm not surfing since so I have 17,000 emails to find yours to see if you entered or not. So. Please follow the directions very carefully. Okay? We hope you'll enter and uh, and do so. Also, I want to tell you, if you haven't already, I don't know why, free is free. Free is good. And you can get a digital subscription to Chicken Whisperer Magazine for free. Yep, you heard that, for free. Okay? Just go to my website, chickenwhisperer.com. How easy is that? Chickenwhisperer.com. When the home page comes up, scroll down a little bit and you'll see how you can subscribe to the digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine for free. If you like a touchy-feely magazine that you can sit in your easy chair at home and fall asleep while you're reading it, flipping through the pages, well, we can accommodate you because we'll ship the actual magazine to your house uh, for just $9.95 a year. How cool is that? There's a, there's a way to do that as well on our website, 
So we would hope you would also do that. So, hey, I hope it is Monday, but we had a great day. Hope you had a great day, and we'll see you back here uh, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Thursday. So we hope you have a wonderful and blessed day. God bless everybody. Ha 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 